<laughs> or something. Um, but um, yeah, look, always, always um, appreciate getting the chance to, to speak to our shareholders and, and appreciate the interest in, in Invictus. And we're just, as Matt said, weeks out from our maiden well and, and something that's, uh, that's very exciting and, you know, potentially, you know, transformational, not only for the company, but uh, for the country and the energy dynamics in Southern Africa as well. So we are recording this and this will be, Matt, I think you're going to put it up on, um, on, on your channel. So, and we'll put a link to it on our website as well. So if, um, if you've got a drop out, then um, don't despair. And <clears throat> we'll run through some questions after this and yeah, or ha happy for anyone to throw questions at me. This is what I'm here for. Um, so you get to get a chance to ask, ask anything. Nothing's, uh, nothing's off limits, but I will keep it to what I, I, I can disclose from a, you know, from our um, our obligations and under the listing rules, I'm uh, I'm not I'm not yet to pass on inside information as as much as everyone would like it. But um, yeah, it all will be revealed very very shortly. Um, we've got we've got a couple of our very uh, monumental things coming up, and um, that'll you know I think I think people will be um, a lot more settled. There, there, there have been some delays on some aspects, but. We'll run through that in a sec. So I'm just going to briefly touch on, on a couple of highlights, and I'm not going to run through our entire presentation. That's not um, what I'm here to do. I've done a lot of webinars that are available on our website, which takes you through a kind of more detailed uh, presentation of, of uh, not only the company, but also on the technical aspects. So uh, check those out on our, on our website and on the YouTube channels. Um, so... This is really designed to to just touch on a few highlights, and then um, and then the, the the major focus of this is going to be on the on the Q and A side. So I won't read through the disclaimer. You can do that at your leisure. So looking at Invictus, we've been around since 2018, and uh, it's when I've ended the asset into a small uh, ASX listed company and took over as as MD and uh, the major shareholder. In that period, we have taken an asset that was left behind by Mobile, who explored here in the early 1990s. They explored over the entire northern part of, uh, of Zimbabwe, so the Mid-Zambezi, which runs from Victoria Falls all the way through to the, the east in the Kaborabasa Basin near the Mozambique border. They um, did a very comprehensive job in their exploration program. They, they acquired a huge data set, um, high quality data set, $30 million in today's money. Uh, and that included gravity, aeromag, seismic, uh, and geochem. But they thought at the end of their exploration program that the petroleum system was more gas prone as opposed to oil prone. Similar sort of story uh, to the north of us in, in Kenya and Uganda, where you had companies like BP, Amoco, and Shell exploring in the interior. Again, they, they, some of them even drilled some wells, Shell drilled Loperot in, in Kenya, uh, but ended up relinquishing that acreage in the mid 90s when um, in, in another oil price downturn. Subsequently, you had juniors move in there and, um, you know, and pick up that, those assets in, um, in the early 2000s and revisit them and, and reinterpret that data that was left behind. And that led to companies like Hardman Resources unlocking Uganda uh, and companies like Africa Oil uh, and Tullo 
unlocking Kenya, and those have resulted in billions of barrels of um, of oil discovered. So we've been lucky to inherit a similar position in, in Zimbabwe with fantastic data set, identified prospectivity already, and we took that asset and matured it. So reprocessed mobiles data, ended up identifying this big uh, Makuyu prospect, previously named Muzorobani. From that reprocessing of that data set, we were really encouraged and, and then went out and shot some additional infill seismic data last year, which uh, revealed some additional prospectivity in Makuyu uh, and also this new basin margin play, which, uh, which we've been maturing. And that, <clears throat> that really has um, been transformational, that, that seismic program. So the independent resource assessment that we, that we put out um, last month in July, independently done by ERCE, for the Makuyu prospect alone, 20 trillion cubic feet and 845 million barrels of condensate. So it is one of the largest uh, conventional targets will be drilled globally in, in 2022. You know, it doesn't matter what year it's drilled in, it, it would be one of the largest drilled. And it's the largest undrilled prospect onshore Africa. And really it's been hidden away because of the above ground situations of Bobby rather than the below ground potential. I think probably um, just going back to the mobile days, the other reason that this has been sitting idle is because that mobile exploration, um, uh, the results of it were never put in the public domain. And so it's all of that information has been in hard copy sitting in the geological survey office. And it was only from, you know, from, from me sitting in there looking and reading through these reports and seeing the potential, um, you know, we were really encouraged. And, and that's, that's where this journey for Invictus started in, in 2011. Um, so we've got a working petroleum system in the Kaborabasa Basin. Um, we've we sampled this at outcrop. Uh, we've got source rock, reservoir, seal, and, um, and obviously enormous traps uh, that, that we've been able to identify on seismic and we are a little while away, uh, you know, a couple of weeks away from, um, from spudding uh, this first well. More recently, we brought in a carbon offset project into the company and that will see us become the first carbon neutral cradle to grave uh, asset uh, in terms of the Kaborabasa project, but also company from an oil and gas perspective. So something that we've, we've been working on for a long time and really pleased to have brought it in. Not only does it position us uniquely as an oil and gas company and, and as, a, as a project, but also as a, as a very nice complementary business arm to the company that um, you know, will, will um, also be very, very lucrative. And I'll discuss that uh, shortly. We've got a very, very supportive uh, government in place that are willing success. Um, and if we do discover multiple uh, TCFs or, or hundreds of millions of barrels of, of liquids. We've got markets and infrastructure around us to supply those um, those markets and, and the infrastructure to get it there. And then we've also got a very experienced board and and management team, um, both in in Perth in the UK and in Zimbabwe, and a track record of discoveries and development of assets. So I'll, I'll briefly touch on our team. Stuart Lake, our chairman industry veteran, he's got a prolific track record uh, in terms of oil and gas, a fantastic uh, success rate um, in finding oil and gas, spent 17 years with Shell, spent a lot of time uh, in their African assets. Um, and in fact, in, you know, in places like Kenya, where, where Shell were exploring, um, 
and also uh, a long time in, in, in onshore Egypt. He then moved to Apache, ran exploration and new ventures there, and then uh, at Hess uh, after that, and made seven discoveries on the trot uh, in Ghana uh, after they, they inherited that acreage. Um, having drilled a dry hole, he, he worked it up and um, got them to drill some, some other prospects and, and made those consecutive discoveries. Bought those assets back in the in the uh, 14, 15 downturn from um, from Hess uh, with ACA BP, and then made a subsequent discovery uh, in 2019 on that acreage, and then they sold it for multiples after that. So Stuart Stuart is is very sharp, not only from um, you know from a, a, a G and G perspective and an exploration success rate, but but very savvy um, you know in, in in terms of the oil and gas business. Uh, as well. So fantastic to have him on the team in the trenches. Uh, he still gets pretty involved and his hands dirty with, um, you know, with some of the seismic data. He, he, can't, he can't really help himself, um, which is great. Uh, Joe Matizwa, our deputy chairman, he joined the board, uh, the main board last year, and that was off the back of Mangwana Capital, who we brought in as a, um, as a strategic investor into the company. And they did that um, you know, during during COVID, and and supported us through there, putting money in at, at a ninety percent premium with their with their first investment, and and they've uh, even with a ninety percent premium, they've done very very handsomely um, out of that. I think they put put their money in at at, at one point eight cents, so they're um, they're very very happy uh, shareholders. And and Joe, we brought onto the main board, having gotten to know <clears throat> Mangwana, and Joe helped us out. A lot, um, particularly during COVID, when we couldn't couldn't travel and, and business in Zimbabwe is done face to face. There, having someone of the caliber of Joe on our board, who's one of the most respected businessmen in Zimbabwe, is um, is a fantastic coup for us. He ran Delta Corporation, the largest listed company in Zimbabwe. They're a beverage manufacturer, and um, so he's um, a heavyweight in business there. Um, he until recently he sat on the excuse me. <coughs> on the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe board um, and is currently on the Infrastructure Development Bank uh, of Zimbabwe board as well. He also sits on the Presidential Advisory Council. So that was a, an independent body put together by the president to advise him on, on the economy. So Joe has fantastic relationships in government. He's very respected and he gets a huge amount done for us. So very, very pleased to have him. My background, I'm a reservoir engineer. I have... Um, from your from people who, who don't know me and my and my story um i am from zimbabwe originally my family is um is still there and in zimbabwe um we've been in business there since 1897 uh, it's one of the oldest companies in the country so do know our way around uh zimbabwe from a jurisdiction point of view um and and doing business and really this is how this opportunity came around uh but i've spent uh, the last 20 years in Australia and, and, and 15 of that in, in industry in, in oil and gas here um, after getting a start in Colbert Methane in, in Botswana, joined Woodside and uh, largest listed uh, independent company in, in Australia, independent oil and gas company, worked through all of their assets from exploration, production, um, appraisal and development. Um, and then in the latter part of my time there in the Global New Ventures team as business advisor when Woodside were making their exploration push back into Africa. Um, and then more recently at AWE, working on Wide Sea, which is the largest onshore gas discovery in Australia in the last 40 years. So led the reserves work, the 
develop the production profiles and also the commercial work as well. I, I'm, I'm, um, I'm one of those people who likes to understand where the commercial drivers are and how to maximize the value of assets um, to make sure that you know you, you ring as much as you can out of them. Gab Chiappini, very experienced on the um, on the corporate side of the business and um, is involved in a lot of companies. And then Barry Mikel, our country manager, who took over from, from Brent Barber earlier this year. Fantastic industry experience with Total <clears throat> and Interoil in, in P&G and, um, and also uh, with Talo and Africa Oil in, in, uh, in Kenya. And so he's um, fantastic to have on the ground there. He's, um, and he's, he's getting a huge amount done and has taken a lot of weight off my shoulders from, um, you know, from our, our activity and, and, and managing things on the ground in Zimbabwe. <clears throat> so looking at where we are in, in terms of location, uh, Zimbabwe has been off the, the oil and gas map for most of the last 20 years after, after Mobile left. And really that's because of the above ground challenges in Zimbabwe, as opposed to the below ground potential. And as I mentioned, the, the, other, the other contributing factor that was that, that mobile data had never been put out in the public domain. No one had ever seen any of the seismic data or understood any of the potential and, and, and seen the size of these, um, these structures and traps that are sitting in the Kaborabasa Basin and, and the Makuyu Prospect. So we are surrounded by a lot of notable players, including super majors, very large independents, and, uh, but probably two of the more relevant uh, peer companies here are um, Renogen in South Africa. So they are a, a biogenic methane uh, project relatively small sort of 200 bcf but now valued so they're in the in the pilot development phase at the moment they are now valued at um, roughly one billion dollars the central energy fund which is a subsidiary of the south african um, uh, energy ministry uh, put in a hundred million dollars for a 10 percent stake in gerenogen and that's really because of the the gas demand in south africa and the premium pricing and the strategic nature of gas in, in South Africa. Uh, and then Recon Africa here in, um, in onshore Namibia. And they are further west in this uh, southern Trans-African rift system through here, uh, also known as the, uh, the Zambezi rift system that, that, that travels, um, now travels um, west to east, but um, when these basins were originally deposited, the Zambezi actually used to flow uh, east to west. Um, so Recon have been following a relatively similar program to us. They, um, sorry, and, and I'll just mention one other thing. The other reason that Mobile relinquished this acreage is we had some onshore discoveries in Mozambique, uh, multi-TCF discoveries that were made in the late 50s, oh, late 50s, early 60s, uh, and still hadn't been monetized at that point. So Mobile saw very little point in trying to discover more gas. So back to, back to the, the recon comparison, um, they, they took a somewhat unorthodox approach to their exploration program where to go out and try and prove those petroleum system elements uh, being present in the basin, they had to go and drill some stratigraphic wells. So we've been very fortunate in that to the west of our license area, we're at outcrops. We've got all of that, all of those elements that come up to surface, so source rock, reservoir, and seal that we're able to sample at surface. And with that existing mobile seismic data, track it back into the basin. 
Uh, whereas recon, because there's no hard crop, they had to go and drill it um, to, to, to figure out if it was there. So we've had a great head start in that respect. We've got a very, very mature data set now following our infill seismic campaign that we shot last year. We've got a big data set now, 1,450 um, line kilometers of, of very high resolution 2D seismic. We've got conventional prospects identified. Um, you know, the two that people know about so far are in that original license area, uh, Makuyu and Masasa. Uh, Recon came out with an independent prospective resource estimate a couple of months ago by, by NSAI, and that has identified 35 leads. So leads are less mature than um, the prospects, and primarily being that they're only they've only been mapped on one single line. If you have a look at, at, at the seismic grid that Recon currently have, um, you know, they're, they're sort of single lines spattered across the license area. We've got a very, very dense and tight uh, grid with, uh, with very, very fine spacing that covers the entire structure and not just on one single line. So our total prospective resource base between McCoo and Masasa's 4.5 billion barrels of oil equivalent and recons across 35 leads is 1.2 billion barrels for the equivalent. Our resource estimate also excludes uh, that new basin margin play in this expanded area as well. So there's more to come. And then looking at the largest uh, prospects or, and, and leads or targets, we should call them um, lead 22A, which is the Makandiwa H2L that recon are drilling at the moment, it's 198 million barrels. And Makuyu, which we'll be drilling shortly, is 20 TCF and 845 million barrels. So, you know, from a <clears throat> from a a, um, a size of the prize for the cost of entry, obviously we're drilling something from a uh, you know that is multiples of what of what Recon are chasing. So, in spite of all that, I think we have been suffering from this Zimbabwe discount factor because of the perception of, of that people have about investing in Zimbabwe. Um, but that has begun to change a little bit with, with um, you know, some, some goals that we've kicked um, and we've got a few more coming up, but also looking at other companies who've, who've been transacting successfully in, in, in Zimbabwe, Prospect Resources, a lithium company, they um, carried out their exploration program, they drilled out the, their resource and uh, built a pilot plant and then had bids come in from seven parties for, for that and successfully exited Zimbabwe. And I think a good sign always is that prospects have um, retained some of that capital and have chosen to invest it back in Zimbabwe uh, as well and continue exploration in new assets there. So we're seeing these signs now that, that, that things are turning, um, turning in Zimbabwe. So looking at, at Recon's journey and, and, and we've had a similar journey through this build up to the, to the drilling campaign, you know, often in these early stages, it is quite dull from a from a market perspective because you're doing a lot of um, technical work that takes a long time to mature, is necessary, but is not particularly sexy um, in the market size. So, you know, when you're doing all this technical work, it does take a long time to mature. And it's only really when you get into these, you know, high impact activities, uh, sometimes shooting seismic if um, again there's no guarantees when you shoot seismic that you're going to turn something up but that that's then worthwhile drilling obviously we don't have that problem but um you know the real action really starts in this um in this drilling phase 
So Recon got from a market cap of roughly $100 million or so up to $600 million pre-results. So they released um, they released some updates here. I think this was uh, some shows that they had and then confirmed that a working petroleum system existed in the basin and that saw their market cap shoot up to one point, you know, above $1.25 billion following their first well. And then um, on the second well, uh, with similar results up to 2.4, uh, you know, $2.3 billion. So that was just not of, a, not of an actual discovery, but a working petroleum system. So if you take that, we're drilling, a, we're drilling an actual um, prospect and target. If any one of those horizons come in, then we have, um, you know, a very, very commercial um, discovery on our hands. And, you know, we'll be trading at multiples of where where we are today. So in terms of the risk reward balance now, we've got an enormous prize, 4.3 billion barrels um, of oil equivalent. Um, and if any one of these horizons come in, we're off to the races. So looking now at, at what the drilling program entails, we've got Makuyu one, which is in our original 100,000 hectare license area. And we did a transaction with the Sovereign Wealth Fund earlier this year to expand that. Um, and this will include this, uh, this, this sort of core of the license area through here. This is all outcrop um, where we sampled the, um, the reservoir source and seal where it comes up to the surface. And um, so our, our seismic campaign, and there's, a, there's a, an image, we won't have time to go into that today, but um, the core of the seismic area that we focus is basically through here where, where the play fairway is. So we'll be drilling Makuyu one first, and then we'll drill uh, basin margin well um, following that. So this is a very simple schematic of the Makuyu one well, just to, to illustrate the, the, the targets for, for each of these um, horizons and, um, and what the size of the prize is at, at, at each sort of level. So at this, at this top 200 target that we've recently uncovered from the, the seismic survey that we shot last year, you know, two TCF and, uh, and 77 million barrels of condensate, very material, just on its own. It's something that we really like and we're really excited about um, and, and really pleased to, to have uncovered in this, in this new data. We, we always thought that there was a good chance that that little sliver that we identified would get bigger, but we, you know, we, we were completely blown away when we, when we started doing the mapping. So really excited about this first up target and relatively shallow at 850 meters. Um, presents presents a couple of challenges from the from the drilling aspect, but I, I, won't, I won't get into that at the moment. But um, you know we've got a diverter on site to in case we take um, take a bigger kick than expected, and um, and we can safely deal with it. And then all through here we've got you know materiality all the way through to our primary target in the six hundred and six fifty in the um, in the upper Angua alternations member. So. If any one of these horizons come in, we're, we're off to the races and having seven stack targets to drill through um, and then being material at every horizon means that we've got a, a fantastic chance of, of finding a commercial discovery uh, in this space. And so probably the easiest way to, to talk about chance of success is if you take a, take a dice uh, and if you're trying to throw a six, if you've got one chance at it to roll a six, you know, you've got a one in six chance, but if you've got seven chances to roll 
uh, a six, you know, your, your odds are pretty good of, of finding at least, um, you know, one, one zone of interest uh, out of these seven. So having stacked prospectivity in these frontier basins is crucial and, and, and why we really like uh, this basin from a prospectivity point of view. Baker Hughes have got um, the integrated well services contract, so they'll be handling everything from the services side. And Exalo have um, have set up on site. We we uh, we raised the mast on uh, on Monday, I think, and and raised the um, raised jacked up the, the 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 drilling platform. So that's in its sort of final stages of, of preparation from a rig point of view. And and um, now the guys are, are assembling all the bits and pieces around the rig now that the the, the mass has been raised, uh, so we're, we're not far away. And this will be, you know, the first well off the bat is the largest undrill prospect in onshore Africa. So, you know, very, very exciting. Um, I'm not going to dwell on on this um, on this slide because, it, you know, we've got a, an announcement out of that and, and, and I've chatted through this before, but, you know, these are the independent numbers that have come out with um, from ERCE. 20 TCF, 845 million barrels of condensate, you know, absolutely enormous prize. And on the high side, and probably one thing I will touch on on the, on the ERC estimates is that um, they've constrained that, and if you go back to our, our announcement that we put out with, um, when, when, we, when we put out on the 5th of July with this upgrade, ERCE have, re if you look at the structural closure of these targets versus the area that ERCE have confined the even the, the P10, the high case to, um, you know, this thing can get a lot bigger as well, uh, very, very quickly. So um, we've got higher internal numbers, but obviously, um, you know, we've never put out our internal numbers. I think for, for, for junior companies having independent numbers always gives people, um, you know, because uh, uh, you can swing these, uh, because it's such a big structure, you can swing this enormously um, on the upside. So you know these are these are very very rational numbers, even though they're very very big from from ERCE. Um, moving on to the carbon offset project, and I think this went a little bit over people's heads when we when we put the announcement out, and I and I was pretty sure it it was going to. I'll be I'll be doing a a more detailed webinar on. Um, on the upcoming project, including the the, the, the basin margin prospectivity, once um, once that's completed, and I'll also run through the the carbon offset project in a little more detail. But essentially, we, you know, whether you like it or not, um, the environment for oil and gas companies has changed, and whether you agree with it or not, this carbon neutrality is becoming central to investment theses for large institutions and, and even for individual investors. And so it's going to get to a point where this is a prerequisite for you to have a, 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 a carbon neutral or a net zero plan uh, as a company. And in fact, in Western Australia now, for new licensing rounds, before you even make an application, well, as part of your application for new acreage, you have to have a carbon offset plan that goes along with it. Even though you have no idea um, you know, so if you're looking in a block that doesn't have any data, you have no idea how big, um, you know, how big an offset uh, pool you're going to require. That's something now that the government is requiring you to have before you even go and bid for, for, for acreage. So this is where things are getting to. So 
you know, we, we, we took the position that we can either, um, we can either be victims of this and then you've got to go out and try and source these credits yourself and buy them on the market, or you can be proactive and put it in place. And that's what we sought to do. So uh, <clears throat> originally we, so there's, there's another, uh, so uh, pro, I'll, I'll talk about red projects first. So, so red projects reducing environmental degradation and deforestation is a UN framework that was brought in. And really that was to protect existing forests from, um, from being deforested or, or, or degraded. And the reason being is that existing forests absorb more CO2 out of the atmosphere than planting new trees. So new trees take a long time to mature and, and establish themselves before they start to process meaningful volumes of, of carbon dioxide. So by protecting existing forests, that's better in the short term uh, for, you know, for, for carbon dioxide absorption in these, in these big carbon sinks. So they developed a framework that provided uh, a means of uh, incentivizing people to look after existing forests. And so that's how, by putting in these programs to prevent deforestation, um, you are then, so, you know, and, and that's based on the biomass that is in, the, in those areas, that then determines the, the number of carbon credits that would be generated, which is equivalent to the amount of CO2 that would be absorbed by, um, by your project over that period. So that's how these programs work by incentivizing um, uh, uh, local communities to not, uh, to not cut down forests, whether that's for firewood, um, for, for cooking or for making charcoal and selling or for forestry um, that, um, so for, for, for agriculture, I beg your pardon, for, for planting. So you put in a range of these projects to, to prevent that and, and that's what generates the, the credits. So we, we originally, so we've actually got one of these projects that comes into our license here at Kariba Red. It's one of the largest red projects in the world, um, 700,000 uh, 700, odd hectares. And we actually had to consult with Kariba Red when, they, when we were doing our environmental impact assessment. And that's where we kind of um, got the idea from, from having a carbon neutral project cradle to grave. And we really liked the tie up with Kariba Red because it came into our license area. We were already uh, dealing with the local community on that, on that front and, and, and putting in our own CSR programs. And it was a very, very kind of complementary relationship. We wanted to get an option on a big bank of credits um, so that if we were successful, that we could offset our project and be, be carbon neutral from cradle to grave. So initially those discussions went well and then the carbon you know, carbon offset market really took off in, in, in 2020. And, you know, they said to us, you can't pay us enough money to, to lock up 15 million credits um, because of the, you know, the sort of pricing that we're getting at the moment. So that fell away and we were disappointed, but very fortunately um, at the beginning of this year, um, a tender came up run by the Forestry Commission who are a, um, a, a state-owned entity uh, for a, for a, uh, these these red projects, there were a few of them, and, and we applied for Ngama Guan Sukumi, and uh, and we were fortunate enough to to be awarded um, these projects. So, very pleased on that front. Um, we've been conservative in the number of carbon credits that we think it's going to generate. Kariba Red, for example, which is uh, just over double 
um, our, our project area. Uh, we'll generate 196 million uh, credits over its 30 year life. And, and we've estimated 30, you know, it'll probably be, be a lot more than that, but it's still subject to ind independent verification. So this will <clears throat> provide us with a means of generating our own credits internally, which means we're not having to go out on, on the market and buy them in the future. And also provide us with a, with excess credits that we'll be able to sell in the voluntary market. So at the moment, they are, you know, trading at anywhere between $10 and $20. But with the demand um, coming up from the future, because of all of these net zero commitments that companies are making, they're going to have to start going onto the voluntary market and purchasing credits, which is going to drive the price. And this is where you see these price forecasts coming in. So <clears throat> not only will it save us money from not having to go and purchase credits, but we'll be able to generate a lot, a lot more revenue and a significant amount of revenue based on um, you know, this, this forward uh, pricing outlook. So we think it's a really fantastic complementary arm to our business. It's a homegrown solution for our project. We're not offshoring it somewhere else. Um, you know, ENI Total, they've got they've got some of these projects in, in Zambia and Congo and, and other places that, that they're developing for their emissions that go on in other parts of the world. So we, we really like this. It's a it's a really nice integrated solution and, and something that we think is a is a great arm to the business as well. Um, you know, so 30 million credits at hundred dollars, you know, that's a big bank of credits of three, three billion dollars worth, um, you know, potentially that that we're looking at in the future. <clears throat> um, I won't labor through what we've been through in the past, just highlights of, of what's coming up. Um, so title to this expanded area, uh, an updated prospect and lead inventory, and we'll reveal details of our, of our second well, um, the, the production sharing agreement, and then commencing our high impact basin drilling opening campaign. We're going to have results from Makuyu all the way through um, because we've got those seven stack targets. Um, and... Um, you know, we'll be logging those those whole sections and, and providing results as as they come through. Then the rig move to to the second well, um, and then that will um, will be the um, you know towards the back end of the year that we'll have results from from that second well. I'm just going to touch on um, the government side of things, and then I'm going to stop, um, and, and we can go into to some of the questions that 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 people have put in because the rest of it is more the the technical side, and I'll be doing a uh, a, an updated technical briefing with the, the basin margin play um, once that comes through. And then um, and then also I did a, a detailed technical webinar on the Makuya prospect um, and you can go and uh, have a look at that on our website. But for people who are unfamiliar with Zimbabwe, um, you know, it has been a very difficult place to do business, particularly in the latter half of the Mugabe era, um, you know, from, from the sort of um you know mid 90s and, and until the late um 2010s so when the new government came into power in in late 2017 they recognized that they needed to to amend um the environment to bring in foreign ownership uh sorry foreign investment back so you now have 100 percent foreign ownership of assets you've got a guarantee of investor rights 100 percent remittance of earnings they've brought in special economic zone legislation which provides a range of fiscal and non-fiscal incentives, so five-year tax holidays, 15% corporate tax rates thereafter, and, uh, and zero capital gains tax on disposals. Customs and, and duty exemption, we already enjoy that with our project. So, you know, sometimes in other places you're getting lumped with a, you know, 
duty of 10, 15, 20% sometimes, and then VAT on top of that. So having that um, taken off your project up front, you know, particularly in an expiration phase, is a great cost saving straight off the bat. And then finally, offshore banking, um, which essentially treats you as an independent entity within the country. So you're completely insulated from the local financial system. You don't have any of the, the currency effects um, that, that people will be familiar with and, and hyperinflation and dealing in local currency. So that we're completely insulated from all of that as um, under a special economic zone. And, and we've got that provision through the Petroleum Exploration Development and Production Agreement that we signed last year. And that also provides us with, with a 25-year production license um, and then renewable for a further 25 and 25 after that, if you're lucky. Um, Wangi Connery's had that, you know, they, they operate under a special grant and that's been in, in operation since 1904. So these, these special grants are renewable for 25 years in a production sense. And then finally, from a, a fiscal point of view, uh, the petroleum production um, sharing agreement, which will provide a stable and transparent legal and fiscal framework. So that sits on top of the existing, you know, so we're, we're, we've got existing legislation through the PEDPA, which will take us through to production. The production sharing agreement, we have volunteered and put on top to government to provide them uh, with a, a more reflective overall, what's called take. So, so government take is your royalties, taxes, um, and sometimes with, with um, regimes, you've, you've either got um, production sharing or you've got an additional profits tax, um, as well as any equity. So all in all, bringing, bringing uh, Zimbabwe up to the regional standard uh, so that the country receives a fair share uh, of their resources. So that um, the, the amendments to the petroleum bill were put into the midterm budget update on the 28th of July. Parliament sits, sits back on the 16th of August to pass that bill. And once that is completed, we'll be able to sign the, um, the Petroleum Production Sharing Agreement. So I'm just going to stop there because the rest of the presentation I've, I've been through from a, from a markets perspective and the technical aspects of, um, of the project. But I'm just going to sort of skip through to this, this summary slide and, and just recap, and then we can go, go on to some questions. So. We have secured first mover advantage in Zimbabwe because of our, our unique DNA as a company. So with um, you know, my history there, our strong roots um, in Zimbabwe, being able to recognize uh, the opportunity early, but also having a fantastic team in place that, that you know, has seen us progress this asset far quicker than, than most companies could. And, and understanding how to do business there has been key. Uh, we've had validation from multiple uh, potential partners who, you know, we, we opened up the, the process to, to bring in partners and that has really provided that endorsement from an above ground perspective, which has been as important as the, the below ground potential and, and, that, and that being recognized by multiple parties. From a, a location point of view, we, although we're, we're landlocked in Zimbabwe, Strategically, we sit in a very, very important position within the region. We've got the greatest market access in terms of the electricity grid through the Southern Africa power pool. Uh, and also we've, we've got the closest time distance to the major gas infrastructure that feeds into the big South African market as well. And, and being onshore 
uh, with the easements uh, we've got locked up through the our rights and the petroleum production sharing agreement, we're going to be able to monetize that very, very rapidly in, in the event of success. And we're closer um, to the major markets in South Africa than even the, on the I beg your pardon, the, the deep offshore discoveries off of, off of Mossel Bay. The government's very supportive of us and um, have been very helpful and, and willing success. You know, this project is potentially a silver bullet for the economy. And so the government have been very supportive in, in, in making sure that we get everything that we need. Our board and our team is, is highly aligned to, um, to the company. All of the board now sits in the top 10 uh, shareholders. And, you know, so we do look after the capital structure. We make sure that we spend our money very, very frugally and, you know, that it all goes towards a project and, and improving the, the, the value of the company. Um, we've, we're a low-cost onshore exploration uh, play, but, you know, we've got proximity to those major markets in, in, in Southern Africa that are premium priced, you know, we've, and we've built in the rights to, to that infrastructure to access it as well. The seismic campaign that, that we saw risk last year and, and um, you know, at the time we, we decided to do that because we knew it would be a huge value add um, because of what we'd seen with the mobile data and, you know, that it has exceeded our expectations and what it's uncovered. And um, we, we, we're very, very happy with, um, with where the portfolio sits and, and, and um, you know, our, our excitement has grown um, leading into the drilling campaign based on what we've, what we've seen from, um, from the seismic results. Um, I think even though with all of these um, aspects combined, we still have been suffering from this Zimbabwe discount factor. And, um, you know, that may persist to, to some extent and, but I think that will all be all be alleviated on on success. You know, if we, if we have success with the drill bit, um, you know, the 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 risk element of that I think will be overlooked because we'll we'll have a few other things in place um, as well. So we still suffer from a discount in terms of our valuation. If you look at our peers, you know, like Recon, like um, like Renogen, but um, you know, hopefully that'll all change through this this upcoming. Uh, Drilling program, so I'm very excited to be, to be starting that um, very very shortly. Okay, I'll throw over to to Matt and Mark now for uh, for some questions. Awesome, thank you, Scott. Uh, well, I think I'm going to start almost where you ended, and I'm sure this is something that you get all the time because of the jurisdiction that you're in. Um, and so, I, yeah, I know you touched on this, but I think that a lot of people here will have the same questions I do or surrounding the Zimbabwe discount, right? Uh, if you want investors, not traders, right? If you want to sticky money to enter your stock, you have to allay concerns surrounding jurisdictional risk, right? Uh, and, you know, so rewriting, rewriting legislation, <laughs> rewriting contracts or uh, all those things are good that you see you you talk about Zimbabwe turning over a new leaf because people don't know Zimbabwe right I mean if people in the west know Zimbabwe it's Mugabe or it's hyperinflation right we don't know the intricacies we don't know the kind of on the ground realities uh, I guess could you just kind of give you know your perspective on the ground I mean do you have examples I mean other things you could talk about but I mean do you have examples of, of exploration or development companies that have moved towards production and not had the rug pulled out from underneath them? Or I guess, can you just speak more specifically sure. in terms of evidence that, that things are different, right? Sure. So I, I think that there, there's a couple of things and, and probably the, the two mainstays of, um, of the economy there are agriculture and, and mining. 
So <clears throat> on the agricultural side, people will, you know, will, will have memories of the, the farm invasions that, that took place and, and farmland being confiscated. And that was, that really gave Zimbabwe that, that, um, that label of, of being an unsafe um, destination for, for investment, because if there's no respect of, of uh, title, you know, that's, that's a fundamental issue when it, when it comes to, to business. So I think the government took a very, very important step a couple of years ago where they recognized that and they have now put in place a plan to compensate those former farmers for their, for their land and the improvements that they made to the land. Whereas under the Mugabe regime, you know, it was just, that was it. They've taken it and, and that's too bad. So we've seen a change now on the agricultural side of, of, um, of investment. So before that happened, what you had was a lot of farmers investing in cash crops that are just season to season. So Zimbabwe has been a very big tobacco uh, grower. They were third largest um, tobacco growers in, in the world at one stage, very, very high quantity. The, the, the fertility of the soil there is, is, is incredible. You can, you know, just throw something on the ground, it will grow. You don't have to, to do much. Um, and so people were planting tobacco and maize, which are seasonal crops. And, you know, and they're, and they're basically going from season to season, hedging their bets to, to have a look and see uh, how things were going to unfold. But now what we've seen in the last couple of years is long-term investments in agriculture. So farmers have moved back and, and you know, went after the, after that initial period happened, there was a lot of subsistence farming from everyone who, you know, all of these people who just settled on the farms. But we're seeing commercial farming come back now, where farmers are leasing back back farms, and we're we're, we're getting things like centre pivots that are going in, um, big irrigation operations which require a lot of upfront investment. Not only that, but people investing in long term crops, blueberries, tobacco. Sorry, I mean um, um, macadamia and avocados. You know, those take five years to to mature until you get to your first sort of harvest. So, the investment environment is, has improved from an agricultural perspective, and the service sector in agriculture is absolutely booming there. Um, Zimbabwe also didn't have to import maize for the first time last year. Um, you know, which has freed up a lot of foreign currency for for other parts of the industry. So things from the agricultural side are certainly improved, and that's off the back of that, that land compensation deal. Secondly, on the resources side with mining, um, you know, again, we've had a long history as a, as a mining jurisdiction. You know, mining's been going on for over a century in, in Zimbabwe, and it is well understood as, a, as, an, as an industry in the country. Um, a few months ago, there was a, a, a conference done in South Africa about the Zimbabwe mining industry, and we've got some fairly major platinum miners uh, there. We've got um, Zimplats who are listed on the ASX here. We've got, um, and there are subsidiary of Implats in, in South Africa. There's uh, Mimosa, there's Anglo-American, and, um, and, and, and a few others. <clears throat> and Roger Brown, who's the CEO of Implats in, in South Africa, was asked, you know, similar question, what do you, you know, how do you see the investment environment in Zimbabwe and the perception of it? And his answer was, we're glad that Zimbabwe has such a poor perception because it limits our competition uh, because it's the most profitable um, 
our most profitable mining uh, venture. You've got uh, amazing human capital in Zimbabwe because you've got this long history of, of mining. And so companies like Implats, like Zimplats, like Anglo-American are reinvesting into Zimbabwe. And I think that's always a, you know, a big sign that companies who understand the jurisdiction more so than outsiders who are looking at it inwards um, are prepared to go back and reinvest. So I think, I think that, you know, from, from that perspective, that that's a good sign. We've also just had um, Caledonia Mining, a gold miner. They've, they've now gone and bought out Bilbo's the mine next door um, in a deal um, as well. So we are getting, um, we are, we are getting that reinvestment uh, coming back in. And I think, you know, if we're successful in our project, it's high profile, um, you know, if, everywhere. And, and that will really open up the doors further for, um, you know, for new investment coming in. Well, thank you. I guess kind of a follow-up just in terms of it being in uh, rel relatively new, I guess, new again, right? Post Mugabe uh, sort of market. Uh, what is, you know, so, you know, you're, you compare yourself to Recon Africa, and if you follow that story, the, the, the environmental permitting and, and kind of the, the bureaucratic side of things can sometimes be a little bit labored, just because I think they're laying down tracks as the train's moving, right? This is kind of their first time through these processes, right? Uh, is this kind of similar for Zimbabwe, right? I mean, are, are the environmental, other permitting approvals, are the processes well documented? Are, you, are they known, or are you kind of working alongside or waiting for ZimGov to, to come back to you with these things? So on the environmental side, that that really hasn't been um, a challenge. Um, we've we've I think Recon are having their challenges for different, you know, because of of different issues and perhaps the way that they've gone about their their program. And once that genie's let out of the bottle, it's very very hard to to put back in. I think we've been very deliberate from the start and how we uh, approached our project, involved the local communities, involved all the NGOs right from the start um, from, from um, and everyone's on site and, and supportive. And our, our, um, our country manager, Brent, Brent Barber, um, our former country manager was involved in the mobile project um, back in, in the early nineties. And so he dealt with that previously and, and, um, and our local partner as well was also at the geosurvey when, when that was going on. So we've known how to approach this and we've got a lot of history with this project even prior to Invictus. The challenges that we've really faced have come around the, the kind of petroleum specific um, aspects, which have been the agreements that we've been, been trying to sign. <clears throat> and really the, so mobile did have a production sharing agreement in place um, when, when, they were, when they were operating in Zimbabwe, but that was when the mines and energy ministries were combined. And that agreement was, a single agreement which could be signed off by the minister. We've had a lot of loss out of the 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 the, the bureaucracies from that internal knowledge um, of government of how petroleum agreements work, and so there's and, and and this is not just in Zimbabwe. This is this is anywhere you go. I think if you don't have any knowledge and you've been and you're being asked to um, review and interrogate an agreement. Which you have no understanding of, it's something that's that's pretty terrifying for for most people, particularly with what's at stake. And so, there has been that hesitancy on on that and that part, and a bit of 
uh, paralysis. Um, and also we've had from, you know, from the, the, the prior Mugabe era and some of the ministers and, and permanent secretaries who were in the ministry have actually been prosecuted because they've entered into agreements with other parties that haven't been signed off appropriately, that haven't followed the right procedures. And so that's also resulted in a very kind of labored and cautious uh, approach from those from those ministries because they want to do it properly. They don't want to get themselves into into any jeopardy from a from a liability perspective, from a personal perspective. So that's been that's understandable. It's frustrating, um, obviously, from our point of view, because it has moved very, very slowly. Uh, so what the government then did, and so we've had to split the agreements, first of all, so that it's covered by mines who are a separate ministry and energy who are a separate ministry. So that that took a little bit of work and they've got to, those documents have got to reference each other. Um, so that took a little bit of work to, to kind of get up to speed. And then we had those, we've had those independently reviewed on government's behalf. So government organized two independent reviews to provide them with the assurance that the agreements that they were entering into were all about board with industry best practice and that um, the government was getting its its fair share because they can't you know they can't look at at that document with any informed view to say you know this is a good deal for us so that has been a challenge we we've, we've done a lot of hand holding we want them to be comfortable with the agreement that they sign um, you know because again we don't want to get into a, a situation down the track where they say, look, we, you know, we've got to open this up again because this is not a this is not a fair deal. So we've we've been um, we've been patient, we've been deliberate in that in that respect. But you know, we're nearing the end of it, and I'll be be glad to, to have that wrapped up because it has been an endeavour. Well, I think if you don't mind, I'll continue on. Uh, we had a lot of, so a lot of these questions are coming from the audience or we, you know, we, we had a, a few days of asking people to input questions. A lot came up around the PPSA, right? Petroleum product sharing agreement. Uh, a lot yep. of, you know, uh, disconcerted kind of opinions or worries or concerns about delays, right? As you kind of just talked about yourself. Could you just, I mean, I have a lot of questions here. I could get more specific, but I mean, could you just generally speak to this? Why are there delays? I mean, are you, are you confident? What's your backup plan if the PPSA doesn't come through? Are you still going and the gazetting isn't working properly? Are you going to move ahead drilling? This that's kind of the wheelhouse or the kind of the, the, the content that these people are asking. Sure. So so on the on 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 the PPSA, what has been holding that up? And again, this goes to making sure that we do things do things properly. There is a um, so even though we, we have the agreement finalized, the government hasn't been able to execute it because there's no enabling legislation um, that will back this agreement if it's signed. So the PEDPA has been done because it sits under the existing Mines and Minerals Act, but the, the Petroleum Production Sharing Agreement, the government could sign it, but then it's just a direct agreement with the government. It's not actually backed by, by any legislation. So this will ensure that this agreement has longevity beyond and, and, and um, applicability beyond the current government because it is backed by legislation. So the government has wanted to ensure that it's, it, it signs the agreement, it's backed by legislation and, and the minister who's signing the agreement 
has the authorization to do it. So that requires an amendment to the uh, petroleum bill. And it's a very, so Mobile had this in, in, in there, um, and, and luckily that has just sat there since in the petroleum bill since Mobile, since Mobile did this. And there's a section in it that says the government can enter into petroleum agreements, but there's no definition of what those agreements are. So the amendment is a very, very simple and straightforward amendment to define the types of agreements that government can enter into. So that's the small, the small little amendment that needs to be done. So that was um, that was put into the midterm budget update on the on the 20th of July and is going back and Parliament will sit on um, this coming Monday or 16th Tuesday um, to, to pass that bill. So once that's done, that'll pave the way for it for the agreement to be signed. So, you know, to call uh, because it, it requires that parliamentary approval. This was the quickest way to get it done, rather than trying to trying to hear a separate, you know, separate bill for this. So that that's the route that the attorney general advised, um, and and so that that's the path that we took. So if you'll let me, kind of allow me just to to pursue, you know, worst case scenario. Let's say you know your confidence is going to get passed. Maybe there's an amendment, right? It goes to parliament, and and they and they have a, an amendment that will require a whole new round of debates and voting, right? Uh, yep. Do you plan to move ahead with drilling? How does this impact? Like, how does this impact the next 60, 30, 60, 90 days, or whatever, for Invictus? Yeah. So from our point of view, it doesn't doesn't really impact that. We're we're comfortable with where it sits. We have the you know, the ability to go through, you know, all the way to production with the current agreements that we have. And the benefit of this production sharing agreement is really for government and, and, and for the rest of the country to, um, you know, to have an additional um, stake in the, in, in the project. There are some, um, you know, some things in there that are, that are nice for us to have, but we've, this is, this is all a win-win situation by, by signing this, this production sharing agreement. So it'll get signed. Um, you know, it's not gonna hold us hold us up from our plans of, of, of drilling though. Excellent. Uh, switching gears here, just Mark, someone had a question about marketing efforts uh, in, the, in the United States particularly, right? Kind of trying to get into mm -hmm. larger markets there. How, what are your plans for, you know, before drilling, during drilling, after drilling, is there a budget allocation? Can you just kind of touch on on your what internal discussions you've been having about that? Yeah, sure. So we 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 are doing some marketing in the U.S. at the moment. Um, you know, mainly mainly off the back of um, of the OTC uh, be, being completed, and and also now we're getting into a phase. You know, particularly. For, for U.S. institutional investors, you know, Zimbabwe hasn't really been on the on the radar uh, at all, and so <clears throat> now with our drilling program coming up, it, it provides them with with that kind of catalyst and exposure that they need to you know to convince the you know to 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 jump in. So um, so yeah, it, it, that that effort is ongoing. So there've been some late nights and early mornings uh, for me over the last couple of weeks. Um, just given given the time zone differences, and we've we've um, so that's active at the moment. Um, there's no there's no specific budget for it, but you know we, we, we're doing we're doing what's um, what's necessary and what what we think is is targeted and, and and effective. No, thank you. I think that I'll hand this over to Mark now. Mark.
Okay, thanks, Matt. Um, Scott, so there was a few things that came in about tech on the technical side and also looking at some sequencing. And one of the mm -hmm. things, uh, you know, Matt was talking about the PPSA, but the, um, the part that's really you know, flashing in the headlights is about the Gazette of the Additional Licensing Area. And you'd mentioned before that, you know, you won't start drilling until the Gazette is signed up. So what is the, um, what is the timeline for that and what is the sort of sequencing? Yeah, so the so the 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 drilling for that for the second well, you know, we can't we can't start until that gazelle is done because we need actual title to the area. So we can't we can't go and drill <clears throat> on a in an area that we don't have title to. So and mainly that's from you know, in spite of the agreements and, and understanding that we might have from government to do it, it's really from an insurance point of view that 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 that's a challenge. So so. Um, Operators extra insurance or, or blowout um, blowout um, insurance, which is a, a contractual requirement for you know for the for the rig. So, but look, that's that that's that's getting in time and done in time uh, for that. We, we we're not too concerned. But I'll just <clears throat> probably run through the the steps for this for this extra. And again, this has been a a kind of a a, a moving feast because of what. We've had to involve various government um, departments and the Attorney General's uh, office to make sure that this is done properly. And it's not, um, we're not putting ourselves in harm's way in terms of this being opened up for being challenged um, down the line. So we don't want to get into a situation, you know, like a like an AVZ or someone who are now having a dispute based on how title came about, how the agreements were signed. So <clears throat> both us and government want this to be done properly so that there is abs it's absolutely crystal clear and not, um, you know, there's no, there's no doubt whatsoever everything's been done properly. So the sequence, the sequence of this has been to, um, for the, the exclusive prospecting orders that the Sovereign Wealth Fund have, which um, surround our license area, the process that those had to go through were the initial gazettal of them, which are for objections. So that allows anyone who is affected by the location of the project to come in and object and to say, well, I want you to stay away from, and that's, that it's really designed for other parts of the country, which are more populated. Some of them urban areas, farming land where, where we are, um, it's very, very sparse in terms of population just because of its its location in the valley. Very, very poor uh, soil there because it's um, the sedimentary basin, all the, all the metamorphic um, stuff that's been shed off is on the backside and some of the most fertile uh, soil on the planet. So people tend to settle on the other side of the escarpment. Um, and there's no other minerals in, you know, in our license area um, apart from some uranium to, to the West, but there's no gold, there's no, you know, so it's not affecting anyone else. But nonetheless, you've got to have that 21 day um, objection, which is a statutory um, thing under the Mines and Minerals Act. That then goes um, back to the Mining Affairs Board who prepare the paperwork. And then, um, and then it's got to go to the president for sign off and approval. So, our chairman was in Zimbabwe last week, um, had a meeting with the president, with the minister saying, look, we need to get this moving along. I mean, we know you've got to go through your processes and we don't want to 
we don't want to circumvent those, but we can speed up uh, the bureaucrats to to make sure that this that this gets done to meet our our timelines because you know we 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 do not want to have a rig sitting on on standby. So that that has provided the necessary um, instructions to to speed this up um, and get it done. So the next step, so the president signed off on those EPOs. Those EPOs will then get uh, gazetted, which is the formal title award. So that's just published in the in the in the government gazette, and then there'll be an assignment of that to Geo Associates, our, our local subsidiary, and then that's it. Okay. So does that mean so that World One isn't being held up by the uh, gazette? You're not going to stop? No, way. not at all. That 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 that's in our that's in our current license area and that's you know we've got title to that that's well and um that that's that's all in hand um so that that's not holding up anything on that on that front right okay um so one of that, you know we've got a hell of a lot of questions there's a there's a lot of people really interested in all of this um the um the netherlands civil report from 2018 is mentioned a lot of throughout your presentations and um, just people were asking, is that something that can be made available? Or do you think everything relevant has already been published in your um, releases? Yeah, so, I mean, we've kind of moved on from the Netherlands and Seoul report in, in 2018. That was the, the initial, I, th I think they're probably referring, uh, 2018 would have been the November one, which caused the, the initial furor, um, which, yeah. <laughs> which um, and that was... You know that was done off, off of the the paper seismic sections, the ones that yeah. I first looked at in the geological survey. I had copies of them made, and then I had it, uh, I had that vectorized and digitized, and we worked. So that those, if you go back to our first presentations, those are the paper sections that we were working off that still had mobile's manual interpretation yes. on the, you know, and the geos, the GIFs that scribbled in crayon, and we had to, you know, had to try and find uh, find a couple of copies that, um, that that didn't have all that scribbling so we're working off a very very limited um, kind of information data set from 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 that Netherlands soil report and we've sort of moved on but nonetheless if you look at our if you look in the notes at the back of that of that release and I think it was done um, it would have been early November uh, 2018 that that, yeah. that that was put out um, all the relevant bits of information we pull out from from that report of how we how the estimates have been completed um the inputs that have gone into it and um and obviously the the results so we you know we kind of strip out the the, the reports often you know the the first eight pages are are talking about you know the history of the project which we've put out and then the back is all about the different classifications of resources, reserves, et cetera, and, and all the disclaimers. So we, you know, all the relevant information is out there. Um, and I think from a from a company point of view, we put out a lot of technical information compared to yeah. most. I mean, if you look at our presentations, they're very detailed. There's a lot of technical detail in there. Um, and, and a lot of the, you know, companies like IHS Woodmac, they're always, you know, whenever I chat to them, they say, we love your presentations because we get a lot more information out of you than we do out of, out of most companies. So, Very um, uh, so the, the most recent one is the ERCE report, which is 
all the updated, you know, the latest information, that's all the new seismic data, all of the studies that have been integrated. So the most relevant report to go and look at is from the, the 5th of July when we when we put out that um, that announcement. So because your because your chance of success seemed to be higher than the ERC one. <laughs> Was there any reasoning for that? Yeah, so so a couple of reasons. One, um, ERCE use a, 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 a play and then a prospect um, chance of success. So they, they, they utilize a seven factor um, equate, well, a seven factor uh, chance of success versus a typical four, four, um, four elements. So what happens is when you multiply seven fractions together, the numbers get smaller and smaller. So obviously the, yeah. you know, if you, if you multiply <clears throat> 0.75 seven times, it's a much smaller number than multiplying 0.75 four times. So that, okay. that's, that's the initial thing. And we, we had a, <clears throat> not a disagree disagreement, it's a strong word, but a, but a different point of view um, to them where we said, look, you, you're double dipping on a on a play versus prospect, um, uh, you know, elements because you're 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 saying that reservoir um, in the plate is 0.8, and then again in the prospect it's 0.8. You know, we think it should be. You should take the lowest one out of the play and the prospect and only use that. But you know, again, they're they're independent and we put the numbers out um, at yeah. the end of the day. Uh, they also don't take into account any, any seismic attributes out of, that, um, out of that chance of success for those particular elements. And so what we did is, is provide our view, a similar view of where, um, where we see that chance of success are using the same factors that, that ERCE did. And you can see in our tables um, in, in, in that prospective resource report that we end up with similar similar numbers to, to ERCE. But then we use, you know, sort of boosting factor for particular horizons where we see seismic characteristics that we think indicate a greater chance of success. And those are more in line with, with what you see typically. Um, and we gave an example of that Westwood Global Report um, of where you see these direct hydrocarbon indicators um, leading to, to statistically higher uh, success rates. And, and even then, we're still pretty conservative on, on, on what we've utilized. So that's the reason for, for the difference. And, and we wanted to, you know, we, we published, I've seen some companies <clears throat> publish the numbers from the independent resource estimators and then put their own internal chance of success numbers in which I think is, is a bit misleading. So yeah, we you, have- You put both out. We put both and we, and we put the rationale of why, you know, of, of why we have a, a difference of opinion and, and we, the, the boost we would have ordinarily, you know, we would have just done, the, done, done it once and come up with, with one number. But what we did is, is show people why we think particular horizons have a greater chance of success than than others. Uh, so I, I know you, you you mentioned there's going to be another technical seminar or whatever you're going to go and do. Are you okay just to just to give a little bit in terms of 
this version drill, some of the testing and data acquisition that you think you might be planning? Are you going to do um, logging while <laughs> drilling? Are you going to be doing any resistivity, fluid sampling? What sort of stuff have you got planned? Yeah, so we've got a we've got a pretty comprehensive um, data acquisition program. So, firstly, from a um, we will be we'll be using LWD logging while drilling. So the tools that we'll have um, behind the bit are gamma res and then also resistivity. And then from a wireline perspective, we've got a we've got a pretty comprehensive suite. So that will be you know your standard quad combo. So gamma ray, um, resistivity, uh, dent density, and, and, uh, and neutron. We've got uh, sidewall cores planned as well. Um, so that'll allow us to take some, some samples from the side of the um, side of the borehole, and then also fluid sampling. So we've got, um, we've got a, a sampling probe, um, fluid analyzer, and then also sample chambers to, to recover hydrocarbons to surface because that is the is the required um, <clears throat> criteria for a discovery is actually bringing hydrocarbons yeah. to uh, mobile hydrocarbons to surface. So um, so we've got a, a comprehensive um, upfront data acquisition for the for the drilling side of things. If if we are successful, we'll then suspend the wells and then come back and test them at a at a future date. So. Um, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're targeting conventional resources here. So doing an old school uh, drill stem test, which you can't do in Australia anymore, um, yeah. but you can do in other parts of the world where it's, um, you know, where, where, there is, where the regulations are, aren't as um, strict, but, um, you know, we'll, 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 we'll end up bringing it, um, uh, we'll probably, the, the the rig 202 is going to stay in Zimbabwe after after we finish. They're they're pretty bullish on our program, and trying to look for a long term contract. You know, a lot of appraisal drilling following up. So quite often, what you do is you bring in a, a smaller workover rig to do your testing. But you know, to be honest, the, looking at the economics of that, um, bringing in a separate um, a separate uh, workover rig, you know, it's it doesn't make sense. So we'll we'll but we will need to bring in some additional kit for the testing. So we'll have to build a, a bigger flare pit and then also bring in test separators and, and, and a few other bits and pieces, which we'll, which we'll need to mobilize. But we're not doing that upfront because, you know, you, you've, then you've got to have that uh, kit on standby. We're going to have, you know, we, we, we don't know what the kind of um, perforation intervals we're going to need. So you've got to order explosives. You've got to order the perf guns. So there's a there's a bit involved before you can get into the into the testing side of things. But you know that'll be that'll be fun to to design that that testing program. It's something that I really enjoyed when I was at at AWE when we were testing wides here. That was um, you know that was great fun. Um, and and hopefully we'll get that get to do that again. Um, so that that will probably be. You know, we'll try and mobilize it obviously as quickly as we can, but that'll probably be in in in, in the new year. Um, I okay. would say that 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 would happen. In the meantime, though, we'll be looking if we are successful, whether it's you know if it if hopefully one well, and if it if it's both wells, then um, you know then we've then we've really got um, you know got some good problems on our hands. Um, mm. 
and then and then looking looking at an appraisal program. So we've got we've probably got enough gear for for a third well to start that straight away. There may be you know there, there may be some some extra casing or, or, or things that we'll need to order, but we've got you know importantly we've got enough wellheads because that's really the long lead the, the real long lead yeah. times yeah. for for fabrication or wellheads casing and stuff. We can kind of kind of um, you know get our hands and, and scramble to get from from different different parts of the world but um but yeah that that we'll look at then you know what's more impactful from an appraisal point of view trying to trying to build that contingent resource base there as we move up that maturity so from pros from perspective which are undiscovered to contingent which are discovered resources and then trying to make that um you know uh, make that number as, as big as possible and, and, and mature it. So, um, so yeah, that's, that, that's a sort of forward plan. We've got, you know, from a hydrocarbons to surface, we may, we may have that um, <laughs> taken out of our hands a little bit from, from this, uh, because we're, we're, we're going into an undrilled basin, we don't understand the pore pressure regime fully. Uh, so what the pressure of the, of the formations are as we're, as we're drilling. And so we're going in with a relatively conservative mud weight, but given what, um, you know, what, what we're seeing off seismic, we don't have a calibration of what that is possibly. So we might get into a situation where if there is a big, uh, a big column that we might, the mud weight not might be high enough. So that, um, you know, we might, we might, we might take a kick and be flowing gas to surface um, in any case. So, um, but then, you know, that's why we built that second reservoir on the outside of, if you've seen photos of the well pad, we've got a second reservoir yeah. now that we've built um, so that we can top up the mud and mix it up and, 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 and um, you know, avoid any serious well control issues as cool. well. So, so, you know, in this modern world, everyone's all about now information getting releases understanding data what, what is your intention uh, i'm not going to hold you to it obviously but um what do you think about in terms of news releasing are you are you intending to do once you start drilling weekly updates will you give an update on when you find something What's, what do you, what do you think about um look weekly updates no um but we will be updating through any material um sections um, of the well and any any material events so obviously if we have um if we have gas photosurface if we take a kick technically that's a discovery you know because you've got hydrocarbons to the surface and that will be material i i think i think the other issue with that is because of our position and if you look at at any of the videos on our website or, or pictures we've got that huge you know the rift shoulders which sit a thousand meters above the the valley floor and so you can see the rig now that the master's up you can see the rig from you know miles across the valley and that escarpment road that goes that goes down so if there and we've got you know there'll be people watching so if there's any if, if they see any um you know any any flare come up then uh, i'm pretty out. sure I, and unless i'm out there i think i'm, I'm not going to be the first one to know about it so that'll <laughs> that'll probably um that'll probably lead to some some disclosure um that'll be made not by us but from from some keen well watchers um 
out there, but but we'll we'll obviously report on anything like that um, when that happens. And then you know, obviously, if 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 we see if we see some material gas gas shows or oil shows whilst we're drilling, you know, we will we'll, we'll, depending on the on the kind of quantum of it, we'll we'll update the market in that because obviously that's a good good indicator uh, as well. And then obviously, if we have any any um, any results from our logging, so logging while drilling, you do get some indications. But again, because of the the mud weights that we're using. And going in, we're we're worried about this overpressure that that we we could be suppressing any any gas or oil inflows because of the the weight of the mud, and and that that's yeah. going to be. So that that could suppress it. So just because we don't see gas shows whilst we're drilling doesn't mean that they're not there. We'll get a better indication once we log log the well with wildland tools, and that really is your is your is your definitive indicator. So yeah, sure. uh, we'll we'll log, we'll provide results for the for the respective whole sections once we've blocked them okay so so what so when are you back in zimbabwe next um i'll be back for spud so uh i'm 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 just waiting to get our final final sort of spud date um and then i'll i'll make my way over and then i'll be there I, i've got to i've got to see on the timing of that, but we've got uh, we've got a presidential visit out to the out to the rig as well. That um, oh. that's happening in in mid September. Uh, I won't give you the exact date, but um, so we've got we'll, we'll have the whole whole board out for that um, as well. So whether I stay through to that kind of first first section of the well or or, um, or come back, I haven't depends on the timing. So I haven't haven't quite figured that out, but I will be back. Um, you know, for the well, um, it's something, you know, that that is a, a pretty pretty monumental um, mm -hmm. occasion and something something that I've been been working hard towards for for a long time. So, we'll definitely be out for for at least part of the drilling. I, I won't be able to spend, you know, my all my time out there. Um, you know, we've got got other other obligations as a as a company director and and got a lot a lot of other things to do um, as well. And so. And look, I can't affect what's going on from a. I'm not. I'm not going to be getting on the on the floor and and helping the roughnecks out and um, you know making up making up joints. <laughs> um, I've spent I've spent a lot of time, um, and it's always great to be around the operations. I've spent a lot of time in the logging shacks, um, you know, yeah. in my in my previous life. And I and if we, we if we're picking um, MDT points for for sampling. Then I, I probably won't be able to help myself and get in, and get involved in that with our with our petrophysicists because I you know a, a lot of that I've done 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 in my past so um, yeah I'll spend I'll spend a bit of time um, out there and, and in Zimbabwe but um, but yeah well I'll be looking forward to your selfie tweets when you when you're out <laughs> <on Saturday. laughs> yeah. so look I know we've gone on a fair while and there was just a couple of other questions I think Matt was wanted to go through if you're okay for another five minutes or so yeah sure I've got as much about, I think it was just curious about any um JV progress is that right Matt sure yeah you're good Scott if we keep going for another few minutes yeah I'm, I'm I've got as much time as you need perfect no thank you yeah there's just a couple more questions here uh I mean large large categories with lots of I'm going to try to condense this for the sake of everybody here uh lots of interest of course with with JV and farming opportunities I think people recognize that you can't actually tell us these things but I think they kind of want you just 
you know, wink and tap your nose if we're going to be rich tomorrow, right? Is where we're, where we're at, right? But uh, could you just maybe discuss, like, could you speak generally how advanced are discussions? Are you being selective or how selective are you? Have you seen an uptick in interest from parties after the re release of your upgraded prospective resource? Can you speak generally to JV and Farman? Yeah, sure. So, so obviously off the back of those independent numbers, um, there has been a lot more interest. Um, some of the parties that we talked to when we first started to do our internal numbers, you know, before before the, before the um, we got any any numbers back from ERCE, um, our our geophysicist John was was looking at them and he he's like, these are uncomfortable. Like how big these numbers are, um, and and so we even though we we're using the same inputs that we had from the GTEC. Um, report that we did in 2019, and the same, um, the same, the same numbers that um, the same inputs that NSAI used for the for the the, the following vintage after we reprocessed the model reports. Um, so we did two versions. We did when we were when we were presenting them to to um, potential JV partners. We did the, the version that were unaltered with the with the same inputs and the and the wound back um, kind of input versions. And one of them we were chatting to, they said, look, um, we, underst we understand the numbers and we're, we're happy with your input ranges. And we, we had a similar problem when, when we were presenting this to, um, presenting a prospect that had an offshore, uh, sorry, an onshore Oman to, to other potential partners. And their, their internal numbers were, were 90 TCF and they wound it back to 30. And they said, at the end of the day, this thing ended up being 90 TCF after the after they drilled it out. So the numbers are what the numbers are. Don't you know? Don't don't try to shy away from it. It is big. It's a big target, and so you know that's just that's just what it is. So uh, <clears throat> that was that was um, good to see from partners. You kind of understand the scale of of, of this thing. Um, but nonetheless, I think still having independent numbers that come out puts people's minds at ease because again, you know, internal management teams, when you're presenting these opportunities to them and they come across and say, well, look, these are the operator's numbers and they're like, yeah, of course, 20 TCF, you know, you guys, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's big, but, you know, but having independent numbers, I think puts, puts people's minds at ease because they know it's been through a rigorous process. Um, you're not gonna get away with um, optimistic assumptions and that it is an independent view. So, so yeah, we have had additional interest um, with all of them. Though we've got to, because we we have always marketed this as this wider play with um, with the basin margin included, and because companies don't just want to participate, although this is big, um, Makuyu, they don't just want to participate in the one well. They want to be able to capture that upside that comes with proving a working petroleum system and, 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 and a basin that then unlocks the running room for the rest of the basin. So as we've seen in the Perth basin here with Whites here, that was the first um, the first discovery in that play in the in the in the King Air play in the Permian. And subsequently that has opened up now and you've had four further discoveries on the trot out of that out of that place. So White Sea was the first one. After that, it was West Eregala, 
O'Hara Springs Deep, uh, South Erigala, and now uh, Lockyer Deep. So you don't want to do all of this hard work. And then, you know, particularly we've done the heavy lifting going into a frontier basin, drilling the first well, proving that the system works. And then you've left all the upside for someone just to come and put an application in next year and, and not have to go through that same agony and, and uncertainty and, and all of that. So capturing this wide area has always been, been key and, and we've always advertised the, to our partners that this is the plan and they've always wanted that. So the, the, we have got a couple of CPs that need to be fulfilled for any farming partners. And that is this wider, wider acreage area. And then also the, the gazettal of the petroleum uh, production sharing agreement. So that is for a number of reasons, although we've got a good, a good relationship with government, the agreement's been finalized again, because of this, this Zimbabwe uh, history and perception foreign companies aren't as comfortable without it um, in place. And so they, you know, they're, they're sitting on the sidelines waiting until it, and, until it's done. So we're racing to get all of that done. And, but, you know, having, having said that, we've always said that we'll take the, the best, um, what we believe is the most uh, value add for our shareholders. So whether that's through a partner or whether that's through sole risking. Um, and there are reasons that you do that, do, you know, take those routes. I think recon on, a, on the sole risk option have shown that, you know, you can go in, you can drill these things by yourself because you're unsure, the, the cost is relatively low and, you know, you can provide tremendous uplift for your, for your shareholders in the, in the event of success. And I think for our shareholders, they're, they're not in this for, you know, they're in this whether at 80% or 50% or whatever the case is. Um, and so we kind of like kind of shown that shown that way. And and I think originally when when we started this 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 process, we were a 10 or 15 million dollar company trying to fund a 25 million dollar work program, US, and we we're a 10 or 15 million dollar Australian company. You know, so the most logical route for us was a farm up because we couldn't possibly raise that kind of money. We dilute our shareholders to to smithereens and um just from a feasibility point of view, I don't think we could have possibly raised that amount of money to get it done. So the farming route was always the most likely option. I think what we've proven though, um, over the last period is when we've controlled our own destiny and, and driven this ourselves, we've done it a lot quicker. Um, we've been more successful and created a lot of value. I think that was proven out of our seismic campaign. So initially where I was a little bit closed off to it because I've, and also I think from a from a perspective that to prove that this was a good opportunity, we needed to bring a partner in. Um, we've had that, you know, we've had that validation now through these offers that we've had, which, you know, puts, pr proves that it is something desirable, but there are a few, not not anything technical, it's a couple of above ground things that, that need to be sorted out that's preventing um, the finalization of this. So, I think I think we've achieved those those objectives through that, you know, just purely from 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 that aspect. Um, from a partnership perspective, though, besides the, the the money aspect, some of them do bring other things to the table. Some of them are, are regional independents who have either developed projects or are potentially big anchor anchor customers of um, 
of product. And so there's a reason that you'd have to look through what the value of any um, farmer deal is on paper versus what the potential long-term strategic um, value of, of a partner is. But, you know, that's also a possibility post-drilling. And then you're looking at, at, a, at, a, at a much different kind of deal, um, you know, post-discovery as you are, as you are pre-discovery. So, so yeah, we're, um, you know, we're still on that, on that two track path. We, we're racing um, to, to, to get everything in place so that, so that we can, um, we can execute um, either way. Thank you for that. I guess follow-up question, I'll try to articulate this and maybe it ends up being almost rhetorical or philosophical on your part, but you know, what's the, you know, you, when you're talking about farming and JVs, there's always a balance between maximizing return and, and maximizing speed, right, of that return. It, I guess, and, you know, without this becoming, you know, insider information that you can't speak to, but I mean, what is, is, is Makuyu discovery enough for you that you would go to the table then, or are you going to like, what, what position, when is it, when is it enough for a position of strength for you to go start negotiating? Is it Makuyu? Is it two wells, three wells? Oh, oh look, I, either of them, I think will be in a, you know, if either of them come in, we'll be in a, we'll be in a very good uh, position just because of the, the running room that's unlocked in the rest of the acreage. So, and again, it's been hard to, you know, kind of talk about it without being able to show you that the, the treasure map of what's in, you know, what's in the, the, the rest of the license area. So um, that's where that, and we saw that with, um, you know, with Uganda, uh, you know, with Hardman, Tullo bought, they drilled those first two wells and they'd flow tested them and Tullo immediately, uh, bought them out because of then what followed with the the rest of the running room before this you know before i mean hardman was sold for a, for a, for a fabulous price but before it got up ahead of steam and they made more discoveries after that because your success rates once the basins unlocked go through the roof so we've seen you know i mentioned the perth basin that's been a hundred percent success rate from from um from whites here um, in Guyana, we've seen with with, Mo, with, with, with Exxon um, in following the Liza discovery in, in their Stabrook block, they've made, I think they have now made 20 discoveries in that block. Um, and they've had, you know, maybe, maybe three or four that haven't come in. But again, they've been trying to extend the plane, test it and, 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 and really go out there. So the running room, once, you, once you're successful, is, is really phenomenal. So the, the success rate in Uganda went to 85% once they, um, you know, after Mputa, uh, the, the first well. And then in Kenya, you know, similar thing with, um, with, with the Lokachar Basin where Ngamia 1 was the, was the play opener there. And then you subsequently had seven or eight discoveries through there. Um, and, and so just a discovery at either of these wells unlocks a huge amount of running room. So, you know, that's, but do you want to go and talk to partners then when you've got all of this running room ahead of you or try and, you know, get a little bit more on the table? It's, 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 a, it's a strategic thing. And, and sometimes, again, it, some of it comes down to monetization, particularly with gas. So um, the, the real advantage that we have is being onshore, you know? So if we do discover, um, if we do make a discovery, obviously we're going to re-rate it multiples, but our cost to then go and drill an appraisal well 
you know, is another 10 or $15 million. So that, you know, to prove up something that we then have a handle on, we've got calibration of our seismic from the well data, that, you know, then that becomes a, an attractive option to go and to, to try and drill that out, grow your resource base, your contingent resource base then, and, ma and really maximize and, and leverage the value of the company. So I think it'll be a watching brief, Matt. Um, we can't, we'll, we'll, we'll make decisions as they come. You know, and then if 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 someone comes in and, and is prepared to take a lot of a lot of risk off the table and 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 makes the makes an attractive offer for the company, which is you know typically what happens in these kind of scenarios. If you if you unlock these these basins and you've got a you've got the footprint of it, it's pretty strategic, and and so that's that's typically when when, when people come knocking. So excellent. I guess this is kind of it segues nicely, dovetails nicely into the next set of set of questions. Just kind of generally speaking regarding monetization, and of course, you know, uh, upon buyout, you know, in a, in a theoretical level that occurs, that's not your problem, right? Yeah. But uh, what I mean, I guess right now, you know, people. Well, it's, well from from a from a buyout perspective, as a, as a board, we've got to recommend it to our shareholders. That's the first step. So, um, you know, we've got a vested interest in it. And we'll be making sure that, you know, we're you know we're talking talking a great scenario here, but that but that it does recognise the you know the, the the intrinsic value of the company and the asset at that point. Mm -hmm. So let's just again, you know, pursuing hypotheticals here a little bit. Let's say that you decide to stick with it. You're going to go it alone at some point. Uh, when do you? How many wells do you go after exploration? And then when when does that transition to production uh, begin? And I guess maybe. In a, as a follow-up to that, could you just discuss the appraisal program in general then too? Sure. So, so on that on that front, um, we, I think a lot of companies take a take a very labored approach to to developing stuff. Um, one of the real advantages that that we have is that we've got hungry customers sitting waiting for us to, to discover something. Um, often with gas in particular, you've got to either wait for the market to develop, as we saw in, in South Africa and Mozambique, even offshore discoveries here in Perth, um, you know, in, in the Carnarvon Basin, the, the Northwest Shelf, those discoveries were made in the 60s and 70s and were only developed, you know, in the, in the mid 80s off, a, off the back of a domestic project and then an export project because they had to wait for the market to develop. We, we're in a luxury uh, position where the market is sitting there waiting and they're desperate for, for gas. So in a gas scenario, there are a number of things that we can do. So, and, and again, we'll look at, and, and this is Stuart, our chairman going back to his Apache days where, you know, where he was in, in onshore Egypt and, and, and onshore Argentina and, you know, he he got a he got an ass kicking if he wasn't hooking in wells and and bringing them on production and for them to pay themselves back in in six months. So we've got a similar mindset in that we want to get to a monetization, an early monetization option, pretty quickly. And there's a number of ways that we can do that. So in a gas condensate scenario, we can strip the condensate and truck that off to market. And we can get it to buy it to the port, go anywhere in the world. From a, a um, from a gas point of view, though, we're we're looking probably at gas to power initially, 
and you've got off the shelf solutions now with, with gas turbines that you can buy and they're modular. And so you can, you can bring them and, and scale them appropriately. So whilst we're building out that, that infrastructure pipelines and, and getting those bigger volumes um, to, you know, to, to customers like Sable Chemicals, we've got a short-term monetization strategy to bring in some revenue that will pay for an ongoing appraisal program. You know, that's our, that's our sort of mindset with this, with this asset and not to sit. Um, the, probably the beauty with onshore as well is that you can scale your developments as you go and as the market builds. Whereas offshore, because you're limited by your footprint of your, of your platform and your facility, retrofitting brownfields, um, offshore facilities is hugely expensive. So typically what companies do is, is they do a full appraisal program of the entire resource, build an optimized development plan, um, and then size the facilities appropriately to suit the market for the 10 to 25 year development period. So we'll take a, a building block approach and, and build the asset up and we don't need to go out and prove, you know, get, get reserves of four or five, you know, TCF before we can start monetizing this. You know, we'll, 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 we'll be doing that um, very early on and build out that, that full field development, if you like, um, over the course of that. But and the, the other advantage is we can get a lot of early dynamic reservoir information from a pilot program that will help us optimize our, our full field development, which is a, a really nice approach to make sure that you're not, um, you're not drilling out too many wells too early on. Um, you, you've, you've got the right size facility, the, the right phasing of your wells through that, you know, through the big part of your development. So. So yeah, that's that's the plan uh, from there. From a longer term for 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 Zimbabwe, for the longer term aspect though, looking at getting gas into the big and hungry South African gas market, and that will be through twinning that um, that pipeline route from Bara to Harare, which already exists. That that brings in liquids products to to the country at the moment, and then hooking it into the Romco pipeline, which takes gas from Pandejimane, those onshore fields in Mozambique, down into South Africa. So that's a that's the kind of midterm scenario that we're looking at. And and the the gas market in South Africa is is facing a crisis because of the, the shortfall now coming out of Pandemani that falls off plateau this year. Sasol, who are the operator, have just hiked wholesale gas prices by 96% as of the start of this month. And there's a there's a big outcry there. And so that 96% now takes wholesale gas prices in South Africa to somewhere between 10 and, and 12 US dollars and MCF. So it's, um, you know, we've been running economics on it at like $2.50 and it's still wildly economic, um, you know, so it's, it is, uh, that's the kind of longer term ultimate uh, because the, the, there'll be too much gas for the, for the local Zimbabwean market. And so we're looking at, at, at pushing it further afield. So, where mobile saw a problem with big gas, you know, we see a slew uh, of opportunities. And with also the, the power market in South Africa is, is very, very hungry. They're facing a shortfall. They've got a lot of blackouts going on at the moment. And so the, the Southern Africa power pool will allow us to monetize gas by wire. 
So in advance of building that pipeline leg, hooking up into the Southern Africa power pool and exporting molecules via, via the um, Southern Africa power pool, which already happens. So there's a this cross-border electricity trading that's run out of Harare. Zimbabwe buys power from South Africa at the moment. Um, they sell it to Namibia. Zambia is buying power from South Africa and that runs through the grid uh, and through Zimbabwe. So it's um, there's a lot of ways that we can monetize this. So so we're, we're, we're really happy with where it sits. And, and I think probably going, going back to, that, that's another aspect besides the technical aspect is the commercialization options that people aren't aware of because they don't understand the local market dynamics. And that's again, where we have this, where we have this advantage. Sounds developed, yeah. Exciting, no, I'm getting excited here. I better calm down, I'm gonna have to be objective. Uh, <laughs> Uh, one last question here. I'll turn it over to, to the many people that have stuck through for two hours here. Obviously, this kind of shows to you the level of, level of interest that we've got here for your for your play, right? Uh, one simple question could have asked off the top: uh, Are you fully funded? Two wells testing twenty six million dollars US. Uh, are you fully funded for that, or are you going to have to come back to market at some point? So we're not we're not fully funded for for the second well, and and obviously. You know, again, I probably fall into the into the more conservative camp, um, and I, we haven't wanted to go out and fund that until we have title. So you know, we don't we don't want to get into ourselves you know, very low very low um, chance of it happening. Um, but again, we're always I think we always err on the conservative side when it comes to things like this, and and making sure that that we're not we're not putting ourselves or the company in any in any jeopardy from, um, you know, from trying to fund something that we don't have title to yet. So for, for Makuyu One, you know, we're pretty much all the way there um, from, a, from a funding perspective. And then the second well, you know, we, we as I said, we're still, we're still following that, that two track option of either sole risking or, or partnering. So, um, so we'll th see where things sit. I think once, once the, once that acreage is is um, and that title is gazetted and and we have we have that um, that security of tenure and we can unveil the treasure map, you know we'll we'll, we'll see where the where the chips fall because that'll that'll be one of the important parts that have that kind of fallen into place for a number of reasons. Excellent. No, thank you. So I think at this point we have about twelve minutes here. I think we may as well use the the on the hour as our deadline here. So that's it from Mark and myself, Scott. Thank you, we're really very very thorough, and we appreciate your time. I think we will open it up here if you're okay with this, Scott, for another 10, 12 minutes of of questions from the audience. Uh, so if you have questions, if you want to either raise your hand, if you want to uh, speak them verbally, or if or just type them into the into the chat box. <clears throat> We can give them the Scott here, but we've got a few minutes left here for anybody interested. Yeah, um, just before that, thanks, thanks, Matt, thanks, Mark. That's um, it's been been pretty comprehensive, and thanks for organising this this forum. It's um, it's a nice format to to let shareholders have um, you know. But again, I'm approachable. If anyone if anyone dials the dials the phone, generally I pick up if I'm if I'm uh, if I'm there. Um, and, and always happy to speak to shareholders, but, um, you know, getting the chance to do this one-on-one -on -one and have, have questions. And I think some, sometimes people don't think of, of these questions and I always find with Q and A's it illuminates if I'm looking at it from a, 
you know, from an audience point of view and having a wider, a wide uh, audience um, that asks different questions and are interested in different things always unveils new information that or something that you hadn't thought about before. So I think it's a, a really good format and, and thanks for organizing it. No, uh, and thank you. Yeah, you've been very gracious here for your time. Uh, I, can't, I can't imagine many more that we left <laughs> questions after <laughs> two hours of uh, you've been you're really generous, Scott. You've done re you're really, really well in terms of how you, you know, your openness and how you made to engage. Yeah. Um, you know, because we had people putting questions in for uh, uh, a couple of weeks in advance. So I think you've covered most of those. There's just a couple <laughs> coming through on the chat. There was something sure. about, have you got any more seismic that's been shot that is only going to be released post Gazettal? Yes, so we haven't, you know, we haven't really released um, anything out of the the current license area. There's a, you know, there's a couple of snippets in our presentations on one line on the piece and margin, but that's yeah. about it. But we'll, we'll we'll run through that because people haven't seen the the strike line that we've shot. Um, along the basin margin to the to the south, which intersects all of those that, that string of pearls play, which looks a lot like, um, you know, the Lokacha in um, in Kenya, um, with sure. with the the, with the sort of um, structural aspects of the of, of the basin and the and the trapping mechanisms. So, um, I've got a I've got a really really nice slide that I've that I've prepped that kind of runs through that that I'll I'll, I'll show off and and uh, there's more to come. There's, there's more to come, yeah. Okay. Um, there was just something asking about um, transport infrastructure. And, you know, is there a lot of development work that's going to need to go on to assist with um, getting product to market? So, look, from a land transport perspective, <clears throat> we, we are, although we're landlocked, we're in the valley, it's actually one of the most um, accessible areas in the, in the interior. So we've got a tarred road all the way to, uh, to Byra. And in fact, they're extending a, a new highway that goes to Kenyemba, which is up in the, where Zimbabwe, Zambia and Mozambique meet right up in the north of the country. It is going directly over the prospect. Um, so they're, they're building that at the moment. Um, so I was out there a few weeks ago and a beautiful new road um, that's out there. There's a big wide corridor. And so that'll go actually over the, over the, over the prospect. And we're about, I think we are about one and a half Ks off of that tarred road um, that, you know, to, to go to, to go to the well site. So from a, from a, an evacuation route and mobilizing gear in and out, it's very, very straightforward. Um, okay. We've got it. We've the, the, when we were bringing the rig down, had to go very slowly because you've got a thousand meters elevation difference between the the top of the escarpment and the and the valley floor so we've had spotters and everything for some of the sharp turns that have you know that have uh that they have to do but you know we've moved like 100 and 180 loads or something there without without any incident um whatsoever and got 130 ton crane down there which is the first thing that went down into the valley with no problems so I made it. so that's been so, so that so that's fine from that perspective. Um, from a from an electricity point of view, uh, and the Southern Africa Power Pool, we're about a hundred kilometers away from three major interconnectors uh, of the SAPP. One of them's in the valley. If we go further east um, towards towards the Mozambique border, um, and then two two others are 
on the other side of the escarpment. And uh, so you've got water um, and the grid, which are the two main things that you need for, um, for gas to power for either uh, open cycle or command cycle uh, power. Okay. And then from a pipeline route, we've got, we've built in the rights for the easements and access to the existing pipeline corridors. And also through those, um, those SAPP um, power lines. So you've got these big wide corridors that they've cut for those power lines that you know are like 50 to 100 meters wide. They're, and they're straight. And they're, so they're perfect to run pipeline style. Um, so that also negates the need for private landowner compensation because it's all been done. Your roots are done, your environmental aspects are done. So we've so we've also loaded those into our production sharing agreement and learned the lessons from places like Kenya and Uganda who've had their projects delayed because of things like pipeline routes right. um, and everything else. And you've seen the, you know, the fights about the East Africa uh, crude oil pipeline and, and the route it's going to take and everything else. So we've got we've got a lot of that solved just because of of the the corridor routes that we have. Um, and building them into our agreements. Okay. So these are really, really small questions, but anyway, um, what, what have you got as the depth uncertainty to the uh, 200 horizon? Uh, so we top, top, top structure, I think is 850 in the, in um, where we're drilling. Yeah. Um, and look, one, uh, one standard deviation at 850, I think is probably around 30 meters. Also, right. so not not huge, not and and we're looking at a you know potentially three or four hundred meters in terms of in terms of column height and what we've seen out of that inversion work. If you look in the in the presentation with those three stacked um, those three stacked um, uh, potential horizons that we've got with which are lighting up in the gas per in window uh, as well. Okay. And uh, can you give any update on the uh, 35 cent options listings? <laughs> um, yeah, look, that is that is something that is in progress. Uh, and and we're, we're trying to fix at the moment because there was a, a little bit of an admin error in in um, in what was put in the EGM versus what was in there. So we're working with the lawyers and, and ASX at the moment to get that sorted out. So there'll be an update on that on that shortly okay all right and then so the only thing holding you back now is just the last bits of maintenance on the rig i guess and uh, that's all looking good yeah so really it's 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 doing all of the inspection work so um ndt non-destructive testing so yep. looking at the drill pipe um pressure testing the mud the mud tanks and yep. Because we're we're using quite heavy mud in the initial uh, initial hole section, and that's really because of the the depth to the the relatively shallow depth, the potential column height that we're seeing, and the buoyancy effect of gas means we've got to go in um, relatively heavy, and yeah. so making sure that the because generally you're drilling with so. Water has an SG of, of 1.0, a specific gravity 1.0. Typically, you're going in with like a 8 to 10% margin on top of that. So seawater is 1.02. You're going in with, and that's brine, which is typically what's what's in your in your um, 
your subsurface reservoirs and you're going in with like 1.08 1.1 sg mud we're going in with like 1.5 sg mud for this for this initial section so 50 percent heavier than than ordinary um just to be on the safe side so that we've got to make sure that there's no because you do get wear and tear on these on these um yeah. you know on these bits yet so pressure testing them to make sure that's all okay um connecting up the various bits and pieces of um of kit because once the mast is up you've got to then arrange things around the base of the of the rig from where that was sitting um yeah so there's there's a little about bit a week. so about a week uh, yeah i think what what that is i think we're probably closer to two weeks worth of work i think okay um and then baker hughes have also got to do their their, their prep work for all of their tools because uh, they've, you know, they've been transported and they've got to come in and be inspected and and, and anything taken care of. Because you don't want to have tools that are in the hole that aren't working. Because work, you know the the main the main purpose that you're drilling is for your data acquisition. And so, you know, it's not just to drill a hole uh, as much as our. I'm not going to I'm not going to pick on 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 uh, on drillers and drilling engineers, but they, you know, all they want to do is drill a hole. Drill a hole and then fill it up with cement when 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 they're done. But the main reason that we go in there is for is for data acquisition to tell, to give us that information from the subsurface so that we can characterize it. Um, so having making sure that Baker Baker have done all of their checks and and checked all their gear before it goes in the hole as well is is important because you know once once the rigs once the rig is you know once you're drilling you know you're you're spending money. So yeah. you don't want any, yeah. any, any non, you don't want any what's called the NPT non-productive time. Um, yeah. Okay, mate. All right. I think that's all. all that's all I got from me. I'll cut off from there. Thanks. I think I think there was yourself. there was one other thing that you mentioned before we before we started, which was the the the, the first gas question on uh, on the seismic. Oh yes, that's well done. Good remembering. <laughs> um, so. Fizz gas or, or, or residual gas is is basically from from your from your charge perspective. You've had a, a reservoir and a trap that's been um, so the, the the gas has been generated. It's migrated up into the into the reservoir, and then at some point you've had a either it's passed through because there's a there's a leak in the a small leak in the trap, or it's breached and it, and it's leaked off. But it does leave behind. Uh, a little bit of residual saturation, and that's typically around five or or, or ten percent of of gas saturation, and that is often enough to light up on your seismic. So it will give that visually. It'll give that indication of um, DHI, yeah. of having some yeah your DHR having some kind of different fluid response compared to to the rest of the the reservoir and and and, and brine, but what what we are seeing is the the extent of the velocity changes through these horizons and the conformance to structure along with them. Um, you know, in that in that two hundred horizon, for for example, um, the reason that we're having to go in with this heavy mud is because of that dramatic velocity change that we see in there, and that is not enough. You know, that that change is far more than like a five or 10% um, residual gas saturation. So seismic's not foolproof, but from the indications that we've seen from a number, and that's where 
again, we see that that different reflection and chances of success through through some yeah. of those those other horizons because yeah. of some of these indications like that. So um, there's some there's um, I think if this is going to if this is going to work, it's not going to be a residual gas in that just because of the, the the magnitude of that velocity slowdown that we're seeing. And, and the reason that you have that slowdown in, in velocity is because of, of the different densities of the fluids. Yeah. And as the seismic waves travel through your formation, rock, different rocks are going to, it's going to travel at different uh, speeds through the different layers of rock. And then if those layers of rock have a different fluid fill, so if it's water, It'll travel at, at the same at the same speed as the rest of them out of the rest of the structure, but if it's filled with oil, it'll go slightly slower because of the the lighter density of oil. But gas, because it's very light, um, and and your pore space is gas filled, it is a it, it's a it's a much much lower velocity that it travels through, and so what we you know what we're seeing are these dramatic changes in in some of those horizons and but also then that conformance to structure where we only see that change of velocity coincident with that structural closure and shutting off at the same depth you know that's what really gives us that that confidence in in um, in some of those horizons in particular okay so what do you th how long uh, just last thing then how, how long do you think till td on that first well what's the uh, time for drilling yeah, so we we've said forty five to sixty days um, yeah. for for V one, uh, and and really that's that'll be driven by um, our data acquisition program and, and and drilling drilling time. So uh, yeah. if we've got to take if we've got to take a lot of fluid samples, that does take time. Uh, yeah. But again, champ, champagne problems. So um, <laughs> and then it's oh, really. Really drilling, drilling, um, you know, drilling speed, and and because we are in an undrilled basin, we don't we don't have a good handle on on what what the sort of um, you know expected performance is for for each of the horizons. So we base it on on analogs in, in basins nearby, similar age rocks, similar depths. Um, but yeah, it's 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 in that sort of forty five to sixty day range. Beautiful. All right, I'll leave it to you and Matt to uh, to close out. Thank you, Scott. You've done a brilliant job. Yeah, precisely. Thank you, Mark, for your help with this. I guess, Scott, before I say goodbye, do you have any final remarks? I guess I'll, I'll let you kind of have the final floor here. Sure. So, so firstly, to, to, to yourself and Mark, again, thanks for, thanks for hosting this. Thanks for, um, for, for moderating all, all of the questions and, and putting it all together. Um, great forum, um, you know, and, and happy to do another one uh, in the future. Hopefully we're talking about some, some great, great results and I can um, discuss in a little more detail about what everything means. Um, but then, you know, to, to, to everyone else, thanks for, for all your time. Um, it, it has been a long, a long session and, and also to our shareholders for all of their support. You know, this is, is something that we couldn't, uh, couldn't have done without them. And, and um, you know, very, very grateful and, and never thought that we'd be in a position, um, you know, like we are now, I think, you know, from a from a personal point of view, I always knew this well would get drilled one day, um, and it's and it seemed like a you know a long long time away uh, and, a, and a and a long way out for a, for a very long time, um, and it you know at some parts I I actually didn't know if I'd still be involved you know whether we'd have to 
have to sell the asset off or, or um, you know, we were just never going to get it granted in our, um, you know, this is a, in the, in the pre, pre-public days, um, you know, so, so it's, um, you know, it's pretty amazing to, to be here on the verge of, of the start of this and, and have, have had the support that we've had, um, you know, really, really grateful and, and excited now, um, you know, it's, 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 um, it's going to be a pretty momentous occasion and um, looking forward to hopefully delivering some transformational success, not only for, for, for Invictus, but also for, uh, you know, for Zimbabwe and for, for the energy markets in, in the region, this will make a, you know, a, a positive difference. And um, yeah, thanks again. And, and thanks for your support. Yeah. Nope. Yeah, no I think the uh, I think the chat shows just how excited um, everyone is. Anyway, from listening to you, okay. I'll, have, I'll have to go. I'll have to go back and have a look. Um, <laughs> no, they really appreciate your openness. Thank you. Yeah. As do we. Yeah. As do I. It was an excellent conversation. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, and we'll obviously yeah, we'll have to do this again. You'll have to just patience here. One more plug here. If you enjoyed this conversation, community investment server on Discord or junior resource investing podcast on uh, on youtube right now so yeah scott thank you for your time and hopefully you can talk again soon thanks matt thanks mark and thanks everyone take care cheers See you, scott thank you